Good evening. Hope you're having a good weekend. Saturday, October 24th at 6.31 p.m. Online at NBCLA.com forward slash Shaky Town. There's a new podcast. And the description says, In the world of big rig truckers, Shaky Town refers to Los Angeles due to the earthquakes that make the buildings shake. And in the current, in the undercurrent of SoCal politics, policing, and the powerful. The footing is just as treacherous as the region's infamous fault lines. In this weekly podcast, NBC Los Angeles investigative reporter Eric Leonard fills a void in America's second largest city, a voice keeping tabs for the voiceless and digging deeper into the stories that impact, inspire, and interest locals from the unfair to the amazing and the bizarre. You might not be getting the entire truth until now. Start listening to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart Radio, and other streaming podcasts. Let's listen to Shaky Town Surprise Bills, B-I-L-L-S, as in surprise medical bills from hospitals and other medical providers. Thank you for listening. Shaky Town with Eric Leonard is brought to you by NBCLA.com. Only a few weeks later did my father receive a bill for $10,000. Astronomical medical bills made a bad situation worse for one former UCLA student's family. So we have a total of five, over $5,000 bills. And they are not alone. I'm Eric Leonard, investigative reporter for NBC4 in Los Angeles, and this is Shaky Town, bringing you more stories from the people behind the news we cover around Southern California and some other unsettling tales that are uniquely L.A. Why Shaky Town? That's an earthquake-related nickname some truckers have given our place on the map, and to us, it also says something about the turmoil that sometimes exists just below the surface in policing, in politics, and with the powerful. This week... Medical emergencies can be stressful enough, but on top of injuries and sickness, many families often have to deal with surprises in the medical bills that follow weeks and months later. 
One recent example, a woman from Pennsylvania contracted coronavirus. And after she was in the hospital, she was flown by helicopter to another hospital for better treatment. She's now being charged more than $50,000 for that flight. According to the New York Times, the woman had been sedated, she needed a breathing tube, and her health was declining rapidly. Doctors told her family it was a matter of life or death that she be airlifted to the other hospital. They agreed. She was flown and spent six weeks in the second hospital. She survived. Then weeks later, while recovering at home, she got a $52,000 surprise in a letter from the air ambulance company saying she personally owed the money. At the time of the transfer, she was taken from one in-network hospital to another in-network hospital. And she had no way of knowing that the helicopter company didn't have its own contract with her insurance plan. At first, her health care provider said it would pay about $7,500 of the bill, but then it rescinded that offer and left her with the full amount. This type of situation is not uncommon. In fact, one of our former interns, Kitty Hu, says she and her family found themselves in a very similar predicament. My mom had a sudden aneurysm, and so we had to get brain surgery right away, and it was a whole mess of going to the hospital and just figuring out a bunch of different things for her healthcare. You're not really thinking about bills at that point. And so she was originally at one hospital and eventually got moved to a farther away facility because it was cheaper for the insurance. So when she was still at the first hospital, she had to do a brain scan at a different location within the same hospital. And so they transported her from one end of the hospital to that place where they had to do the scan. And only a few weeks later did my father receive a bill for $10,000 because it was $5,000 one way. So $5,000 to the brain scan, $5,000 back to where she was staying. And at the and end of... I was going to say, let, let's make that really clear what happened. So she's in the hospital. She has to go to a different side of the same facility for some kind of examination and instead of the nurses moving her who moved her so actually what's interesting is that my dad didn't even know that she had to get this transportation he was never asked are you okay with us transporting via an ambulance or whatever he didn't know about it so the, i'm guessing that the doctor said well she needs to get this brain scan so Either the doctor or case manager, whoever's in charge of that in the hospital, moved her. And because the hospital didn't have their own transportation system, they brought in Royal Ambulance, so an outside private company, to transport her from one end to the other. And because it was a going to the brain scan, coming back from the brain scan, it became a two-trip bill. So that ended up being $10,000. And my dad didn't know about that. So when you first heard about this, I mean, it must have sounded absurd that if somebody's in a hospital, they would call an ambulance to the hospital to move them to another part of the hospital and then call the ambulance back to move them back to their room. Like, I've never heard of that. It's not that common, even when I was talking to researchers. So I was shocked that that had happened. And it also just doesn't make sense. Like, you could really, if you wanted to, just push her bed. And granted, it's a hospital, but it's not so big that you can't do that. Did you ever find out how far it was? Was it like it's quite one mile? So it's we're talking like yards, not miles. Yeah. And what was the hospital's justification, if you know it, in needing the ambulance to move somebody inside their own property? I think that their justification is just that my mom needed to get the brain scan, and that was necessary for her health. So they 
did whatever they needed to do in order for her to get that scan, which means taking an ambulance. But on the ambulance side and insurance side, their point of view is that this is quote unquote not medically necessary. And so therefore that allows the insurance to not pay that bill. But regardless, the trip was taken, so the ambulance can still charge it. So fast forward, how many months, how many bills are there? So we have a total of five, over $5,000 bills. What frustrates my dad the most is that after that first intra-hospital transfer, within a week or about eight days or so, my mom had another ambulance transfer, also with Royal, so that was closer to $6,000. And then a week or two after that one, there was another trip, so that was another close to $6,000. And so my dad is saying he already got the ambulance bill after the second trip, so that alone was already over 15 k He's just confused why the hospital would still continue using the same ambulance company when they know that our insurance is not paying for it and that we're getting these high bills. So it's confusing why we have five bills from Royal because eventually my mom had to get more hospital to hospital transfers. And then on top of that, it was $40 per mile. So it just added up really quick. And just so I understand the time frame right, the first to and from trips, did the bill for that show up before the additional trips, or were you guys still in the dark when they started using the ambulance for a second and third trip? So we got the bill after the second trip. So it was after the intra-hospital transfer, after another hospital-to-hospital transfer, but after that we had three more trips. I imagine all of this stuff happens in a way where, I mean, it sounds like at least for the first, the first time you and your family learned about this, you were totally off guard. Right. Like, you'd never heard of this before. Yeah. And at any point, does someone say to the hospital, stop doing this? My dad has been trying to talk to them. He's a very responsible person. He has a log of literally every single thing that has happened to my mom within the hospital, with insurance, with everything. And so he has notes and logs on each time he's tried to call the ambulance company, as well as the insurance company, and who he's spoken to, what they've told him. And what's been happening is that on both sides, he gets a lot of misinformation. So one customer service support person will tell him one thing, and then later on someone will say the complete opposite or they won't follow through with it. He has gotten, we've gotten a negotiation company to come in at one point from the insurance. So the insurance company brought in a negotiation company to help negotiate the bills with the ambulance company. Then a few weeks later, we just got notice that the negotiation failed. So nothing came from that. And at one point, the insurance said that they would pay all the bills, which to me also sounds absurd that they'd be willing to just fork out so much money. But when my dad called the ambulance company, they were saying we have no notice of that, no proof of any sort of payment. So it's a lot of phone tag just back and forth, and you keep getting different representatives each time, and information's not accurate, and no one holds the people accountable if they do tell you something incorrect. So you obviously became really concerned about this, first of all, clearly for your family, but also because this sort of medical mess seems like it could happen to a lot of other people. What have you been able to find out about this strange situation and this predicament? So I didn't even know about surprise billings as an issue before this, but from my research and just talking to a lot of other folks, surprise billing is a huge issue, and what's been shocking is how little protections consumers have when it comes to that topic, especially when it comes to emergency transport and emergency care. Uh, 
being in California with some more protection with surprise billings, but then still seeing that ambulance support and care is not covered within that is also just has been very interesting. And also I've just read a lot of stories from other consumers and patients who are just being screwed over in this whole mess and reading about how frustrated they are. And it's like, of course, because you're dealing with a medical issue, an ambulance bill is the last thing that you want to think about when you're dealing with all else that you have to deal with. So you said a couple things there that I think are important. One is you said California patients have some more protection than in other states. What is that? So we have AB 72, which is a bill that protects consumers from getting out-of-network bills when it comes to surprise bills. So out-of-network means an anesthesiologist, a physician, an ambulance, they can all be considered out-of-network if they don't contract with the hospital. In other words, you go in for something through your provider who you know is part of your insurance program, and then as a result of whatever that procedure or that visit is, other medical people get involved who may not be part of that, and because you haven't made a prior arrangement with them, they can't hit you with some giant fee in California as a result of the thing that you went for in the first place. Right, so that protects consumers in one way from surprise bills, but ambulance transport and some emergency care, I believe, are excluded from that bill. So regardless, people who take these ambulances and get these high bills are not protected. So why is that? Why aren't patients who are insured, well insured, protected from surprise ambulance bills? Claire McAndrew with Families USA has part of the answer. It's important to understand that there are economic incentives for companies to surprise bill. And it doesn't just start with the individual you know, providers or the individual ambulances. It's that large-scale companies are staffing doctors for a hospital or ambulances for a given area. And behind those companies, you have bigger companies, Wall Street companies, private equity companies. And those companies have figured out that it's a profitable business model to be out of network and not in network because the, the bills are bigger, the charges are higher. And so those companies profit more out of out-of-network bills rather than in-network bills. So it really is important to understand there is a large profit motive behind surprise billing for Wall Street companies that do not put patients before their profits, and we really need Congress to fix that. Medicare is the only healthcare system where the charges actually look at and require of providers to submit what are your overhead costs, what are you actually paying people for their labor, and that's how Medicare comes up with what they what they reimburse. So for other, um, you know, for providers themselves, they charge based on what they want to get paid. But those charges are not actually based on the actual cost. So Medicare provides good insights into what something actually costs to deliver the service. In recent years, more and more research and you know studies have been done about these practices um, as more and more you know stories have come to light of what consumers experience. So I've certainly heard a lot of consumers tell their stories, uh, particularly like from a lot too from the air ambulance companies, those that are flying airlifts. The stories of um, people getting a call that will say, you know, you owe us you know an extraordinary amount, like you know fifty thousand dollars, but if you pay us on the spot today, you know twenty thousand dollars. We will get rid of your extra debt. However, if you can't pay us $20,000 right now, we're going to send the full amount to collection. So you hear these stories of these incredible predatory practices. Uh, you wouldn't expect it from a service that's really life and death for people. Um, 
sounds like a super shady business deal. And then having the bill go to collections, and the bill doesn't just go to collections for that face value. It will go to collections for the amount of the bill plus interest. So last year, Congress was working on a bipartisan plan to prevent surprise billing. The idea was that extraordinary costs could not be dropped on a patient without plenty of warning before the charges were incurred. The plan in Congress was even backed by the White House. But it fell apart after a number of private equity firms that control many private ambulance and air ambulance companies poured millions of dollars into advertising and lobbying to oppose the plan. We'll be right back. Shaky Town with Eric Leonard is brought to you by the NBC4i team. The biggest investigative team in Southern California has one mission, justice. Your problem is ours to solve. Contact us now at NBCLA.com slash iTeam now. Back to Shaky Town with Eric Leonard. We're talking with Kitty Hu, former UCLA student and former Shaky Town intern, about how she and her family were sent surprise ambulance bills totaling more than $25,000 after a family member's medical emergency. now into how it is that insurance companies decline to pay certain ambulance bills, ambulance companies charge these really, really high rates for even simple moves from one place to another. Any sense of how California got there? Well, a few decades ago, when I was looking at the research, we did have a public service at, with the ambulances and so a lot of it was volunteer driven or taxpayer funded and so most people did not have these expensive bills because a local government provided the ambulance that showed up if you called 911 or if a hospital needed an ambulance to move somebody right but increasingly over time these even local governments have been contracting with private companies and when you do that those private companies have the ability to regulate their own billing and to regulate what's happening with them. So in that case, I think slowly over time, private companies have just taken over this field, as with healthcare in general in a lot of areas. And so consumers have been left out of that negotiation and have been the ones to bear the burden of that. Here's USC health policy researcher Lauren Adler with more on how this happens. One, it was expensive for localities to run this, and it's hard to raise tax revenue at the local level. And you've seen sort of a big influx of some private companies in particular. Like the, the biggest ground ambulance carrier is this American Medical Response, which is owned by a big private equity firm. They came into this space and realized I could exploit my market leverage um, a lot better than these sort of nonprofits and stuff were doing. And so they came in and made a lot more money. And they're like, don't worry, we'll take the cost off your books, municipality or county. But in exchange, we're going to sort of bill your, the people, your, the residents of your county, a lot more money. As you've been dealing with your own family situation and then your curiosity following this up and finding out about how all of this works or fails to work, um, how, how big of a, of a problem is this? Because... Ambulances are like one of, or emergency healthcare, but ambulances in particular are like one of those things that you don't know you need until you need them. 
So it's not the kind of thing that you can shop around for a good price on. It's like wherever you are, when you need it, you need it. Like, how big of a deal is this? Ambulance companies don't have to provide you their data, especially when they're a private company. So you don't even know exactly how often or what they're billing these individuals. And just looking at the qualitative data and hearing from stories, they the ambulance companies kind of will raise or lower their fees arbitrarily. It kind of depends on who you're talking to, if you get a fee reduction waiver, if this person maybe is having a good day and they're willing to take the X amount of money that you can pay and drop the rest of the bill. So it's hard to really get actual data on how often this is occurring and how much they're charging people, how often those bills go to collections. It's a lot of data that just hasn't been congregated yet. And I think even if people really looked into that, they haven't found it yet. So at the end of the, the, this research road for you, where has this left your family? So we're actually still stuck in a limbo period. We don't really know what's happening with the bills because we've been contacting the insurance company and the ambulance company back and forth constantly, but we're getting different information from all of them. And most of the time you're not able to speak to a person at a high enough position in those companies that can really take action on your bill or case. So we just keep getting different reference numbers and it never leads to anything. I'm hoping that actually through the research, I can bring in an advocate who's working in the Bay Area with some sort of law firm that can help kind of negotiate with the ambulance companies. It's not like any of this happened because of an elective thing that you wanted to do, but a doctor didn't think you should do. This is the result of something that a doctor ordered, right? Right, and even if my dad said, let me just take her in my car, like, she has to be laying down. There's no real way for us to do that, and the doctors wouldn't let you do that because that's not medically safe. But what's interesting is that after my mom was discharged because of other issues with insurance, my dad literally pushed her in a wheelchair from the hospital center to my house. So we live pretty close, luckily. It was about 30 minutes for him. So because we were discharged, he was able to just literally push her on the sidewalk and they didn't have an ambulance come. But it's interesting that in another case, when it was for some hospital tests, like she had to take the ambulance. In other words, the hospital decided when they called the ambulance and when they didn't, even though it seems like her going home would be one of those times where she would need it. Right. One of the side effects of all of this is that now some people can be reluctant to call for emergency medical help in real emergencies because they're afraid of what they could be charged afterwards. We spoke with attorney Helen Tran about an incident with her family. My uncle had an emergency at home and um, my cousins tried to call 911 and got a busy signal. <laughs> Well, so it's bad to begin with. Yeah, so instead of calling again, they decided not to call at all because they thought they would hit, be hit with these surprise bills of, because of what they've heard amongst their friends and family. Did also, you, I mean, did you know anybody else that has been through one of these situations where they get this, you know, five-figure... Well, the clients I had worked with previously, and I would call the ambulance companies or collections companies to try to get them withdrawn, but it, it's just a drawn-out process. It's not like a difficult argument to make, but it's just really tedious with the amount of phone calls you have to make. Especially if you're sick or you're dealing with an underlying medical issue, like the last thing you want to do is have to deal with billing companies. Yeah, yeah, and if people are being deterred from using emergency services because of this, that's a terrible um, 
a terrible public service to begin with. Then. No, I interrupted you. So yeah. you were saying that they decide not to call 911 even though maybe they should have? Yeah, and he has Medi-Cal and Medicare. They still didn't call because they thought they could be billed. And so they waited a couple hours until another family was available to transport him. So what happened? Um, so he's actually in the nursing home right now. He turned out okay. But um, we had a talk with our parents that they should just um, deal with the bills after if that ever were the case again. Right, because the, I imagine the worst situation would be somebody would be afraid to call yeah. 911 yeah. when they really needed to. Right, or they would like try to take an Uber or Lyft instead. And the whole point of having ambulances is to help people. So do you think there is a prevalence of this in communities where people don't speak English? My instincts are that yes, because they tend to hear um, about these difficulties of navigating different systems from friends and family, and the last thing they want to do in a time like this is to have more trouble in their lives. And this would be like another source of difficulty to navigate, on top of a really difficult healthcare system already. If this was being done differently, and in a way that was more patient or consumer friendly, what would you think the hospital should do in that situation if they were trying to protect the uh, financial stability of the patient and their family? Like, what should someone at the hospital have done before this happened? I think in the case of our first ambulance transport within the hospital, there definitely should be a different means of transportation for patients when it's literally at the same hospital for a test that their own doctor has decided to administer. They can't rely on bringing in a private company to do a $10,000 transfer and then shove that fee to the consumer's family or the patient's family. That is just crazy for me. Um, and I, the, and the thing that nobody said that that was going to happen. Because if the hospital was calling the ambulance to do this, clearly somebody there knows the result of that $5,000 ride each way. The person who pushes the button at the hospital that makes all this happen knows that 10 days from now, this family is going to get a letter in the mail with this enormous bill. It's not like they're ignorant of the process, but the patient and their family is ignorant of the process. Right, and what we've found that doctors and nurses are there to help you medically, right? But a lot of the time, the dealing with the insurance happens with a hospital case manager. And so even in situations where, where we're dealing with other insurance-related issues, they're actually pretty harsh. They're not really always on the patient's side. They're kind of helping out the insurance as much as they can. And so even just not related to ambulance, it's been difficult dealing with the hospital's case manager. And when you're talking to the doctor, they say that they can't really do much in situations like that. All they can do is maybe say this is medically necessary or medically not or push for something and justify it with medical means. But in the end, it seems like the case managers also have a lot of quote-unquote political power in this kind of world. There's more to this story. So coming up in part two, another woman from California will tell us the story of her fight over a giant bill. And representatives from ambulance companies respond, plus what you can do if this happens to you. Shaky Town is a production of NBC4 in Los Angeles. Mitch Baker is the producer, Tim Howick the executive producer. I'm Eric Leonard. See you next time.
again we were listening to Shaky Town Surprise Bills at, at uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart Radio, and other streaming platforms or online at www.nbc. Los Angeles forward slash shaky town podcast with Eric Leonard. Thank you for listening.